Hello, I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Welcome to a new episode of ATV Talk and Motorsports Podcast. Please join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We bring you interviews with industry professionals, live events, live news about the motorsports industry in every episode. Enjoy the show. Whether we are out riding with our friends and family or racing in extreme environments, we all need good tires. That's why I recommend GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Greenball Corp. Their products, which include XC Master, Mini Master, and Ground Buster 3, are what leading professionals in the ATV UTV industry are using. You can get your tires at greenballtires.com or find them on Instagram as GBC Tires for further inquiries. Are you looking for the best suspension technology for your sport ATV? Look no further than Elka Suspension, the industry leader in sport ATV suspension technology. With championship wins in prestigious events such as the Dakar Rally, Score, Best in the Desert, ATV MX, Cross Country, and Works, Elka Suspension has established itself as the go-to choice for athletes and enthusiasts alike. But they don't just stop at ATVs. They're constantly expanding into new markets, including UTVs, trucks, SUVs, pit bikes, snowmobiles, and more. Their commitment to innovation and quality means they're always looking to improve and adapt so you can enjoy a smooth ride wherever you go. Want to learn more about what Elka Suspension can do for you? Visit their website at elkasuspension.com or give them a call at 450-655-4855. They will always be happy to answer your questions and help you find the perfect suspension solution for your needs. Welcome to DBR Racing Products, the leader in 3D modeling and innovations. Since 2015, they have been revolutionizing the industry, starting with their groundbreaking YFZ450R battery boxes. But they didn't stop there. They have continued to push the boundaries constantly improving their design with each new version. In 2018, they introduced the game-changing Vortex EXO cage, specifically designed to securely hold the Vortex ECU in a safe and sturdy location. This breakthrough innovation ensures your ECU stays protected even in the toughest racing conditions. At DBR, they understand that every detail matters. That's why they also offer an array of essential products to enhance your racing experience. Their spark plug hold downs keep your engine firing at peak performance while their LTR breather boxes ensure optimal ventilation for your machine. Their LT250 engine skid plates are a must have for those seeking unmatched protection. Engineered to shield your engine from impacts and rough terrain. They provide the ultimate defense for your ATV. But that's not all. They've developed ProPeg mounts that allow you to use TRX450R Nerf bars, giving you greater control and maneuverability on the track. To explore their full range of innovative products and learn more about DBR Racing, 
visit their website at www.dvratv.com. You can also reach them directly at 507-828-1233. Their knowledgeable team is ready to assist you with any questions or inquiries. DVR Racing Products, where innovation meets performance, unleash the power within you. Dave Ross, welcome yes. to ATV Talk Inspired. Thank you very much. Hey, I'm here. Um, so we've been trying to put this together for a while. We have. So you're a, been retired for how many years? Uh, 30 years. You've been retired. I've been retired. I'm sorry. I've been retired for four years. And you were a sheriff in San Diego County for 30 years. Yes. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's a, that's a tough career, isn't it? It is. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. Um, do was there any of the negative indications close to the end of your time uh, in the sheriff's department that as there are now? Uh, there may have been, but not that I had, I really saw because I was in a, I was in a position, I was assigned to the SWAT team when I retired, I was a supervisor on the team. Um, so we were a little bit, um, taken away from the day in and day out, uh, patrol type activities where the ground pounders is that, that's, who's going to see it the most, right? Um, the guys driving the patrol cars out hitting the beat every day out in the communities every day. Those are the guys that are going to feel any, any type of change, sudden change or repercussions from anything that has happened. Um, we were the tactical side of things. So I really didn't see it until a short time after I retired. Wow. Well, you obviously grew up in the San Diego area. Born and raised. Yep. What was your desire to become a sheriff's deputy? You know, it's funny, and not a lot of people could probably say this. I don't know. I'm just thinking. Um, what's interesting is nobody in my family was law enforcement. Nobody. I think my mom's uncle was, um, but I, I never really knew him. Um, but nobody else was. Um, just everybody in my family did regular type jobs. Um, but at the age of five years old, I could tell you, I wanted to be a cop. Um, probably just that innate, uh, you know, probably God said this kid's going to be a cop for whatever reason. And, and that's what I did. Well, answer me this. Why did they call them? Why do they call them cops instead of police officers yeah. or sheriff deputies? Because cop to me sounds, it has a negative connotation. Ah, you know, it, it didn't for me. And it, it does. You're right. Out of respect, peace officer, uh, law enforcement officer, deputy officer. Um, I never took cop as uh, derogatory or I never took offense to it. I, as a matter of fact, I just referred to, you know, right. cops as cops. Right. Um, I, I think I think that was from way back. I don't know. Uh, I think, you know, beat cop. You know, probably is where the term was devised. Um, it wouldn't be beat officer or beat police or anything like that. It'd be beat cop, right? right. Um, I don't know where that term came from. I don't know. But I never took offense to it. Um, I didn't take offense to too much. Maybe, <laughs> maybe pig or something like that. <laughs> what what uh, what was your initial, when you went into the, the, the academy, mm -hmm. um, what was your initial job coming out of the academy? So I actually started as a cadet. I actually started as a San Diego police cadet because this was what I wanted to do. Uh, as a kid growing up, it was easy for me to kind of stay out of trouble. I got in trouble like every other kid, but no major trouble, right? I mean, honestly, never used a single drug in my whole life. Um, my background investigator found that odd. As a matter of fact, questioned me on that a lot. Um, but I, I knew growing up that 
um, yeah, I kind of had to stay out of trouble. This is what I want to do. So at 15 years old, I was an Explorer cadet for San Diego police. Um, and I actually promoted up through the ranks as an Explorer cadet um, to the rank of lieutenant. And I got out of that program at 20 years old because at 20 and a half in 1989, I applied for the sheriff's department. Um, San Diego police wouldn't hire me because I had too many speeding tickets at the time. <laughs> and, and it broke my heart. Like it really did. Like, I mean, it was... Um, that's what I wanted to do, not just be a police officer, but I wanted to be a San Diego police officer. My Friday nights, instead of going out partying, I was riding Logan Heights. I was riding Southeast San Diego. I was on ride-alongs. And when they told me, eh, you got too many speeding tickets, I was devastated. And a friend of mine told me to, uh, hey, apply with the sheriff's department. That might be a better option for you instead of waiting another year until those tickets drop off. So I did. And I got hired right away. And my first assignment was in the jails, uh, the old San Diego County Central Which, Jail. Isn't that that's normal that that yep. as you come in new, you have to go to the jails? Yeah. And as a matter of fact, the lieutenant who hired me, because that's part of the process, you go through, you know, the testing, the physical, and then as you progress a, a short interview, and then they're like, all right, this guy might be a good candidate. So you go through a lengthy background, then you go through a psychological, then you go through um, a health examination. And then finally, it comes down to a lieutenant that you sit across from and he does a short interview with you and makes a decision whether he's going to hire you or not. And I remember him looking at me going, Dave, I really love you. I love your background. I love that you were an Explorer cadet, but he goes, I've got one issue. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, here comes my tickets again. Right. And he goes, you got a lot of speeding tickets. You like to drive fast. And I said, yes, sir. And uh, he goes, well, that won't be a problem because you won't be driving any of our patrol cars for the next four years. You'll be working the jails. But everybody did. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so my first assignment was Central Jail, downtown San Diego, the old jail, which I take pride in. I got to work the original, the old jail that was there, gosh, from the, the 30s. So yeah, pretty neat. Pretty cool. What was it like working in the jails? Uh, my first year, depressed. I was bummed. I was like, oh my gosh, I wanted to be a cop on the street. This is, I mean, I went from ride, ride alongs, right? I went from hitting the streets with cops every Friday, Saturday night. I mean, not every, but most Friday and Saturday nights to, man, now I'm turning a brass key, working the jail for the next four and a half, five years, maybe. And I was super bummed. And I had actually thought about leaving and going to work for, you know, going back and trying to become a San Diego police officer. And one of my training officers convinced me and one of my partners down there convinced me, he goes, dude, just stick it out. We all go through this. But it was depressing. It was like you're indoors. You're in this jail, uh, 12 and a half hour shifts. And so sometimes you'd go to work when it was dark and you'd leave when it was dark and you wouldn't see daylight. Um, but it was the best experience I ever had. And it actually made me way better on the streets had I not then had I not done that. Is it true that most of the convicts are manipulative? A hundred percent. And that's what you learn right away. And that was neat. Um, you know, at 20 and a half years old, 21, when I graduated, I was still super immature, super impressionable. Um, so I was dealing with hardcore convicts. I mean, guys in there um, for murder, guys in there from street level larceny to murder, um, guys from Sindo Mob, uh, the guys who killed Jerry Hartless, which was a San Diego police officer. Um, he was chasing uh, this group of uh, Sindo Mob gang members down an alley. One uh, drew a gun, took a lucky shot over their shoulder and hit him right in the forehead um, and killed him. And uh, I was dealing, those guys were in jail at the time when I was down there. So I'm dealing with those guys. So yeah, the manipulation is a good thing because you learn right away 
um, how to deal with that. You learn what's true, what's not true. Um, you learn how to how to deal with these guys. Is it the veterans that are there that are protecting you, also to help, te- te- help teaching you? That yeah. these guys are these guys are convincing you to do things you you can't do. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, and I one of the TOs in the academy told uh, told us all after after we got our assignments. You know, some guys go, you know, they'd go. You're going to Las Colinas, the woman's jail. You're going to South Bay. You're going here. You're going there. And he goes, Ross, such and such, such and such. You guys are going to Central Jail. You guys going to Central Jail? I'll tell you right now, there won't be a day that goes by that you won't have to put your hands on somebody. And he was absolutely right. Not a day went by because you could tell him, uh, you could tell him a couple times, um, but oftentimes you had to put your hands on him. I mean, just to put him up against the wall, to counsel him, to talk to him, to let him know that this is the way it was going to be. Um, and you know, nothing bad, nothing that violated policy or anything like that, but the simple things like, Hey, put your hands in your waistband or walk the red line, fall this way and guys mouthing off. Don't talk to anybody. They talk to people. So, you know, they, they always try and manipulate, push the limits and you could never let them get by with a single thing. Right. Uh, we talk about in riot control fast forwarding years that that first overt act that um, uh, protesters take that first over illegal act is so crucial in that if you do not address it, it's only going to get worse from there. And it goes back to the jails that, that, that one time that you let one of these guys get away with something, you give them a direction. They don't follow it. That one time you let them get away with it. It's just going to progress from there. They know they've got you or they're going to push the limits and force uh, a confrontation. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yep, 100%. So we dealt with it. And a confrontation is in that environment because there's more of them than you is bad? Absolutely. I mean, more often than not, you know, we'd line a catwalk with 30, 35 inmates and it would be me and maybe a partner or oftentimes your partner was a trustee, which was a another inmate, a worker inmate that maybe only had 15 to 20 days, maybe 30 days left. So they were your they were your partner. You know, so yeah, you couldn't let that stuff go by. And we prided ourselves on the team I worked on. Man, I never worked with a group of guys that we were so tight. We had guys on my team. We had probably about 18 guys on my team. So a team would be we, we worked, unless we got transferred, we were in jail together. And we literally spent every work day and every off day together almost. At least some of our off days, we were going to barbecues or going and having a party or whatever. We were tight and we prided ourselves out on our team. No deputy ever got punched. Nobody ever got assaulted. Nobody ever got injured because we all supported one another, backed one another and took care of issues that arose. That's And that didn't happen with every team. Right. So, and now... Oh my gosh, I still have uh, buddies that, and I don't, I try and I, I kind of stay out of it. Um, that's another thing when you talk about surviving the career, I have other outlets. So that wasn't my identity, which is odd being is how that was what I wanted to do my whole life. That wasn't my identity. Um, so you had, a, you, it was your job and you loved it. But when you left to go home, you went home. Yeah. So my point being, I still talk to guys, but not that often. And, um, man, it's changed. There's guys getting assaulted in the jails, deputies getting assaulted in the jails left and right. Um, 
And, and that goes to what we kind of were talking about, you know, did you feel anything change on the department when you left? And I hadn't, but that's what it is. It's, it's the support from not only the, the public, but it's the support from your own department that has changed where guys don't want to do that job anymore because they don't have the support. Right. So when the, when the bosses don't allow you to do the job correctly and they tie your hands, yeah. it's kind of like the military when they give, when, when we have rules of engagement, but the bad guys don't have rules of engagement. Right. Right. You know, what's the drill here? Yeah. And there's gotta be, I mean, there's obviously gotta be policies. There's gotta be procedures and those have to be followed. So important, right? We always pride ourselves on, you know, our core values and our guiding principles. And that is, if it, is it ethical? Is it legal? Is it within policy and procedure? Is it the right thing for the department? And can you take pride in it? And if you can answer yes to those, you're going down the right path, right? So, so this might get us off the rails here a little bit. I thought that when you committed a crime and you had to go to jail, you forsaken your rights, not your human rights, mm -hmm. but your rights to the same rights that the people out of prison that every day. If you don't obey, there's punishment to be given, and this needs to happen. And, sure. and what it seems like it's turned into is when you go to jail, you have the same rights as the people outside or more. And wait a minute, you're a, you, you've committed a crime, a felony, you've injured somebody, you've stole something. You've, you've obviously shown that you can't play correctly with the other members of society, so you need to be incarcerated. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you know, there's title 15 and title 15 is kind of the, the guideline for jails and prisons and the, um, the inmate rights basically, so to speak. And sure they, they should, because mind you in, in County jail where we worked, nobody was really very few of the, the inmates incarcerated in County jail, um, they're innocent. They're innocent until proven guilty, guilty, right? So some of them have been sentenced and they're awaiting going to prison. Some of them come back from prison because they have another court case to attend to, right? But regardless, they do have rights in there, but those rights have been extended above and beyond. Don't they have more rights than the officers? A hundred percent, you know, and it, and it goes to the simple thing like when we talked about, hey, I had to put my hands on somebody. I had to counsel an inmate. Um, there really shouldn't be an issue, Lenny, with me um, because an inmate's not following my instruction. I've given him several instructions. He's not following my instructions for me to grab him, place him against the wall and say, listen, this is how it's going to be done or else, or else you're going to lose a privilege or else you're going to wind up in a safety cell or what we called a rubber room back then. Right now you put your hands on an inmate, even as I just described with nothing else. I'm not saying you slam him the wall. I'm not saying you bang his head against the wall, but you place him against the wall. One is a safe place to be. I'm limiting his movement while I talk to him. Right. That's a use of force. That's, that's a two page report right there now. Um, that's a two page report that might even be questioned as to, well, shouldn't you have done this or couldn't you have done that? So armchair quarterbacks that don't, everything's know, how, that don't know how to do the job. Yep. And that goes to why people may not want to go into that career anymore because I never, when I was working in my 30 years ever, did I fear of being prosecuted for something? Never did I fear that if I had to shoot somebody, would I maybe go to prison for that. Um, even if I made a mistake, 
even if I was operate, if I was operating under all those guiding principles that I just mentioned, gosh, nowadays I could still go to jail for that. Right. And that's scary. Well, they prosecuted super, innocent people, in my opinion. Super scary. Yeah. Well, and it's changed, right? I mean, how many of these police officer shootings? And I'm not saying, I'm not saying they're all good by any means. You know, when you've got 2,500, 3,000 sworn officers or employees, you're always going to have a bad apple. A bad apple. Right. And, 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 and there's always mistakes that we make in our career, right? But, um, Man, to be prosecuted for something like that when you do everything right. And now look at how many police shootings that we see. And again, some of them are bad. Some, a lot of them I think are good. Um, good being that the officers were doing what they thought was right. But we've always, we've lost sight in it. It's always, well, what did the officer do right? What did the officer do wrong? We always, we never question what got them there. Like, why were they there in the first place? Yeah. What did the criminal do to cause it? Right. The guy had a gun and tried to drive away and was shot. Or the guy robbed a store or the guy assaulted somebody or the guy did whatever. Right. Um, we, we never go back and question that stuff. Um, it's crazy. I, I listened to, I saw a YouTube video not long back. Um, it was a sheriff and, and I love, I love the sheriffs and supervisors that support their, their deputies and officers. And there is a difference between police chiefs and sheriffs, right? So sheriffs are elected. Police chiefs are appointed. The big difference being the police chief is a political position. Sure. I mean, and if he, and if he's, you know, if he doesn't take a stand, he's always got that out. Well, you know, I could get fired or whatever. Right. The sheriff's elected. Look at John Duffy way back when. Right. Badass dude. Absolutely. So the sheriff in Florida. I grew up. I grew up during that time. Yeah. When. Yes, we. They kept us in line. And yes, you didn't want to do the things wrong. But they treated us also with leeway. You know, so when you when you when you were drinking beer, when you weren't supposed to, they didn't just cuff you and take you home or or lock you up. They gave you a chance to. Yeah. You know, atone for that. You're, you're because there's the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. Right. right. And Collender, another great example. As a matter of fact, Bill Collender uh, pinned not only my sheriff's or my Explorer badge on me, my Explorer cadet badge on me. He pinned my uh, sheriff badge on me, which was neat. My share uh, when I promoted. So. Um, I heard this sheriff in Florida say there was a shooting that happened. Um, Bradford I, I saw this. You know what I'm talking about, I, right? I, I saw this. And do you remember his comment was because people questioned why did your deputy shoot him so many times? Uh, and and I, I forget the exact wording, but it was something to the effect of to make sure that he couldn't fire back. Or no, he said sometimes. Evil can't be dead enough. Oh, yeah, that was it. Yep. Yeah. And that guy who was trying to kill those two deputies was nothing more than evil. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. And we see that a well, lot. It's well, he was not, just taught to disrespect the law. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they gave you car training as far as you already like to drive fast. So yeah. when you got yeah. in the car, they gave you specific training for high speed yeah. chases, things like yeah. that. In the interview, they ask you, you know, why do you want to be a cop? And the, the can answer is I, I want to help people. Well, the can answer is I want to help people, but I want to drive fast and carry a gun. Right. That's that's why we become <laughs> cops. Right. Um and yeah, so back then my academy was um, eighteen weeks. Now the academies are 
I want to say somewhere nine months, somewhere around nine months. And they learn um, less. I think they probably learn less, but yeah, we got the basics in there of, you know, how to drive, uh, defensive tactics, firearms, all the laws. I remember taking the very first test and I was, I went to Hoover high school, um, tough school, tough school back. Yeah, it was, it was tough back then. As a matter of fact, on, uh, on a few days from graduation, um, buddy of mine got stabbed. We were at a little gathering. Uh, it was kind of tradition at the high school that um, seniors would camp out on Senior Hill um, the day before graduation. So you'd wake up, you know, that morning when all the kids were going to school, you'd wake up oh, on Senior Hill. So we're we're all camped out there, and uh, of course we had been uh, drinking. So remember, I said I kind of towed the line because I wanted to be a cop, but I did some underage drinking, probably right. like most kids do. And my buddy, and mind you, my last name is Ross. So my homeroom. And I had a paper route. I grew up in East San Diego. So grew up in a predominantly Mexican neighborhood. And my homeroom was, you know, Rodriguez, Robles, Ruiz, uh, Romero. I knew all the gang members. Um, and a lot of them were East Side gang members. But I knew them all. We, we were okay. I rode my paper route through their neighborhoods. But my buddy, my buddy popped off with something derogatory. And I couldn't even tell you what he said. But it started a fight. And these same guys that I knew stabbed him in the femoral artery and uh, came after to stab me as well. And I was able to get away, come back, and uh, actually put a tourniquet on him and help save him. Um, where were we going with this, Lenny? I forgot. We were just having just a conversation. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, there, there's there's no real direction to anything that we talk about. Um, oh, so so I, I graduated with maybe just a little bit better than a D you know, average. So I remember taking the first test. So I had crummy study habits, if, if any at all. And I remember the very first test that we were given. And mind you, when you go through the Sheriff's Academy, they give you what's called three bullets, three strikes. Right. So of the 18 weeks that I'm there, you can only screw up three times. You, you could only screw up. You could only fail whether it be defensive tactics, firearms, there's a lot of opportunities in three months to fail. Mm -hmm. And you can only fail three times. And every time you fail, you get one remediation. So you get three strikes, one remediation for each strike. And if you fail, if you get a strike and you fail the remediation, you're done. And if you fail three times, um, and if you fail and you pass the remediation, you're good, but you only have two strikes left. Once those strikes are out, you're done. So it was stressful. Plenty of opportunities fell. And I remember sitting down for that first test coming from Hoover High School, even though as an Explorer cadet, you could quiz me on laws. You could quiz me on the, the, the police codes. And I knew all those. But this first test was, was had to do, uh, it was on, I think, ethics. And I remember reading the first question of the test. And I'm like, wow, I don't even really understand what they're asking. I barely passed that test. And I remember um, a buddy of mine when I was going to Miramar College, while I was just kind of doing things just to, while I was waiting to become a cop, I was taking, you know, administration and justice classes just to stay busy. And I remember a friend of mine taught me how to study back then. And I remember going, man, I better take his advice and learn how to study. And I passed, I graduated out of 80 something guys in my academy. I graduated fifth in my class. So, um, I learned, you learned, how, to study. I learned how to study real quick. 
Yeah, real quick. Nice, <laughs> nice. When all of the years that you were on the once you got out of the jails, mm-hmm. then you became just a patrol where you just were on regular patrols. Yeah, out here, right, right where we are. Uh, a lot of my East County, a lot of my pursuits. Yeah, I was stationed out of the Santee uh, Sheriff Station. That was my first assignment. Um, so I worked the jails. I did about almost five years. I my last year was out of Descanso uh, with a canine. So I worked a canine for about a year. Um, and then I came out to the streets without a canine. Canine had to stay. And uh, yeah, I was out here in patrol now for the next gosh until until I got on the SWAT team in two. I didn't know that the sheriffs had a SWAT team. Probably one of the best, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, and I don't just say that because um, I was on it, and I'm I'm a bit biased for the sheriff's department. But I will tell you. Um, of all the SWAT teams that I've had the opportunity to work with, Border Patrol Bortac, which do you remember Bortac was the first ones uh, that responded to that school shooting yes. and put that guy down. That was Bortac guys. So I want to say Bortac and Sheriff's Department probably have not only the hardest SWAT academies probably in the nation, but the best teams in the nation. Um, Did you test good. to get in or, or get picked to go? There's a selection process. So um, you have to actually uh, go through. It, it, it basically starts with a physical. First, they want to know, can you even come close to meeting the physical demands? Um, and then if you can, um, they do an interview with you. And if you pass the interview, and you could, and they think you're an okay candidate, like you may have some chance of success, then you go through a two week SWAT Academy uh, and it's full time. I mean, it's two weeks of some of the hardest stuff. If you were, you know, I mean, and I don't want to, my son is a Navy SEAL. So we compare what his budget training was. This is nothing like it. But if I could take just two weeks of his one year of budget training, um, this would be equivalent to just a small snapshot of that. It's brutal. It's rough. Uh, and the neat thing is it's, it's from, from when I went through in 2000, it had, that SWAT Academy had been the same 30 years before. And it's the same as it is. It's the same now. Uh, minor tweaks. It's a good Academy. It's a good test of your, physical skills and mental skills so well the, they're trying to change the seal training oh they are oh yes. they they are. they are yeah they are yeah they want to soften them up man i don't know if that's necessarily their intention but it's happening i mean it is yeah they want to they want to lighten it a little bit um i don't think they should i think they should no. make it harder yeah i don't know that they need to make it harder um watching my son going through it oh my gosh literally brought tears to my eyes. I remember like, um, I would go park. I was on the SWAT team at the time. So I, I fast forward, I went back to the SWAT team in 2000, uh, 20, gosh, I don't know. 2020. It has to be, it has or, I'm sorry. I went back 2016. I went back 2016 and um, about the time my son was trying to get into the program. And so I was on the SWAT team when he was going through buds. And I remember going down like uh, day one and parking out on silver strand and watching them just get beat. And 
I didn't brought tears to my eyes and they're like, man, my, my boy's out there. I know I knew he could do it. Um, this was hell week. I knew he could do it. Um, it's, it's something to see. Um, it is not an easy feat, man. So I don't know that they need to make it harder, but they surely don't need to make it easier. Um, not at all. So yeah, it's a lot of things. The Navy's going through a lot right now. I think everything, everything's going through. All the military. They are. They, they, they are. Yeah, for sure. It's just so, and it's disheartening for the guys who had to go through that. Right. So, um, it is, it's, it's rough because, um, it minimizes what they've done, you know, correct entry, right correct so, yeah yeah without those guys at that level um or even the SWAT guys at the level they are it lessens the protections for the civilians oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah absolutely um yeah. Well, how much hand-to-hand training did did you have in the older form of the sheriffs i mean not ta- not talking today but did they did, do any jujitsu training or anything like that? No, super minimal. As a matter of fact, that's something that's gotten better. Um, they actually do more jujitsu. They actually do more uh, stand-up boxing type stuff. Uh, back then, they didn't. Um, they did uh, basic self-defense. And I'll tell you, it really wasn't, it wasn't enough. Luckily, I had some of my own... Um, skills um nothing crazy but i had done some training before uh just growing up you know i was killing time i mean at age 15 again i i'm an explorer cadet i'm out riding logan heights and southeast san diego on a friday night so i had to learn um i had to learn how to protect myself i didn't have a gun i was relying on the officers i was with and they did a great job helping protect me i mean i had the shotgun had i needed it um but yeah i had to i had to learn some basic skills Did you have a key to get that out um, back then, because they would get out of the car, there was no back then. So back then it was, you, you did, you had either a key or there was still an electronic button that you could hit. As long as the ignition was off, you could hit an electronic button right on the rack and take that shotgun out. And I had to a couple times take it out. But, um, the skills that we learned in the Sheriff's Academy only worked if somebody wanted to be compliant. Right. They only worked. And that was it. They, they, they worked if somebody wanted to comply. If somebody didn't want to comply, a wrist lock isn't going to work. An arm bar isn't necessarily going to work. You had to do something more. And Leonard, it comes down to basic stuff, punching, punching, kicking, hitting, um, distractions, right? Something to soften your, your opponent up in order to get those things that they taught you to work. So, jujitsu training or conditioning training for these this position ends after the academy they don't have any yeah. more requirements no a year no yearly no. runs none of that stuff nope. and all don't you think that it would help the officers whether they're sheriffs or police or whatever to still maintain a physical training program 100 percent and and yeah not only for you know the stress that it takes on you um staying saying it would behoove you to stay in some type of physical shape and i'm blessed that that's always been a part of my life as a matter of fact my wife and i met in a um interesting story going to miramar college we met in a weightlifting class a physical conditioning class the instructor that was teaching that class was actually a sergeant on the sheriff's swat team and he said hey 
man, I heard you talking. I heard you wanted to be a cop. Have you ever thought of coming to the sheriff's department? I go, no, EJ, I want to, uh, I'm going to be a San Diego police officer. He goes, oh man, I wish we'd get guys like you on the sheriff's department. I ended up going to the sheriff's department, but he was, he was a sergeant on the SWAT team that I would eventually go and be a part of. He was actually the sergeant on the Escondido uh, call where the only SWAT officer on the sheriff's department that had ever been killed was killed then. And I had actually worked with those guys because he had me do role playing. He goes, Hey, I know you don't want to be a, uh, a sheriff, but would you mind being a role player for my SWAT team? So I'd go out and let those guys just beat me up. Uh, I'd be the bad guy. They'd come kicking a door and I'd take some shots at them and, and they'd beat me up. So it was neat working with those guys. And it actually made me go, man, I kind of want to do this. I kind of want to be on the SWAT team now. Um, was there really that much action, uh, action out here in East County? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, when I started, heck, the, the Hells Angels were still running and gunning. Uh, East County, I mean, East County was the meth capital of the nation, not just the meth capital of California, not just the meth capital of Southern California. It was the meth capital of the nation. And that got me very interested in pursuing um, a realm in in investigating drug crime. So I went undercover and worked undercover for a number of years. Um, after I did a stint on the SWAT team for almost five years, I went and worked undercover for gosh, from 2006 to 2010. So isn't that hard? Um, it is, it is, it's hard on the family. Um, just in that the hours, they're long hours. I mean, you're, you, you got to work drug hours, right? So you're working all hours of the day and night. Um, I'd eventually go on different wiretap investigations. Days and days and days. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so some of my good friends, I mean, we, we did just that. We'd sleep. How do they pay for that? It's just like, like, I mean, if you don't go home for three days because yeah. you're working. Yeah. It's, you know, I'll tell you what's interesting and man, I, uh, I say I, I use I statements because I can only speak for myself, but I know for a fact um, there's a lot of guys then and a lot of guys now that a lot of it just comes out of your own self-initiative to want to do the right thing and do the job, right? Um, so there was a lot of hours put in that we didn't get paid for, but there was a lot that we did. Um, and when when you're doing drug investigations, there's, and especially when you get on federal type cases, there's a lot of money that asset seizures, right? So drug money is reused to buy equipment, buy cars, pay overtime, things of that nature. So there, um, I never did it for the money, but yeah, being compensated for it was kind of nice at times, right? Getting those checks. So yeah, that was kind of nice. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of hours, but it was all out here. I'm telling you, it was neat. As I was driving here, I was thinking through stories, man. I was thinking through, you know, different pursuits and things that I had been on. Uh, the Lakeside Post Office. Remember when there was a hostage situation down there? No, I never knew. You never knew that? No. Oh my gosh. The Lakeside Post Office down here. It would have been 2000. So I was on the SWAT team at the time. Uh, when it was rocking and rolling, we had the Santana school shooting. There was a Gracemont, Grossmont High School shooting. There was a shooting that a lot of people didn't know about. It was called the Congressional Towers in Chula Vista, where a gunman had shot several people inside this retirement home that we got deployed to. There was the hostage situation at the Lakeside Post Office. There was a hostage situation in one of our jails. So for my five years on the SWAT team before I left and worked undercover, for at least four years, it was 
rocking and rolling. And yeah, right down here, I was reminiscing about, yeah, a guy took some employees hostage and it was like you'd see on TV, you know, coming to the window with the gun to the guy's head and, uh, you know, negotiations went on. And I use this in some of my training and classes and things that I do now. I always use this analogy. I can remember being on that particular call and, and literally hundreds of other calls, but that particular one, cause I was still new on the team. I remember being on that. I was set up on the window with one of our snipers and I was acting as a, an observer and containment with him. And I remember seeing the suspect come to the window with a gun to the hostage head and where this was a very tense situation and just starting to evolve into where it would go a few hours later, I remember thinking to myself, wow, I'm there's, there's my hands aren't shaking. My heart's not beating. And, and we're the guys who might have to pull the trigger on this thing. And I could attribute it to this and why most SWAT teams and why our team was and still is very, very successful in what they do is because they train so much. They train for the what if. They train for A through Z all the time. And when they're done training for everything they think they've trained for, they do it again. So when something happens minus a few little minute details, date, time, you know, weather conditions, and maybe not, you've trained for that scenario a hundred times already. So it's easy. That's that. Well, I mean, it's yeah. kind of like the, the, the seals. They, that's why they are as good as they are is because they're, they're training and setting themselves yeah. up for the unexpected. Unfortunately, they beat those guys up and that's probably one of their downfalls is they don't, you know, these are million dollar men. When they're done, they're million dollar men. My son has a million dollars invested in him. And I can only speak for him and a few other guys that I know. He's beat. He's beat up because their cycle, their workups that they do um, for their deployments is brutal. It's retraining. And the same thing on the SWAT team. Every Wednesday is their training day. And that's a team training day. That's where all the guys get together and they run through training. And they're rough. But nothing like what the SEAL guys are training for. They're rough because there's there's self-preservation too. There's there's you gotta preserve what you have. I mean, I left the sheriff's department and I was a month into retirement when I figured out, oh, that little that little pain that I'm having in my hip is my hip is done. I now have a titanium hip. Um, I'm getting ready potentially to get a knee replacement. So there's a lot of aches and pains that just happened. And that that's with me doing, trying to do everything right, but just getting beat up over the years. Um, or some of these guys, they don't, they don't, there is no preservation of those guys. They really, it's this way or get out, you know, you're, you're going to get beat up. It's going to suck. Embrace the suck or get out. Right. Um, where I think the, at least the guys on the, the team have learned over the years, Hey, we got to, we got to take care of ourselves a little bit better. And that goes back to the physical health, right? I mean, I listen, you, you've got to take some initiative on right. your own. I listen to guys like Jocko Willink oh, and, yeah. Yeah. and uh, some of those other guys and, and the punishment that they've taken. And and they all say, I'd do it again. Do it again. Yeah. I just died right in. Do it again. Like, you, will you go now? Uh, maybe not now, but yeah. yeah, then when I'm young, me, yeah, no yeah. problem. I'll do it all over again. Yeah, there's things I mean, I'd, I'd do a bit different. I mean, I'd probably make sure I wore better hearing protection. I'd make sure that I wore better eye protection, right? Because all that's going. Um, 
same in my line of work. Yeah. You know, you're tuning yeah. a bike and you don't have ear protection. Yeah, on. right. I mean, that was just our era, right? I mean, and and also, you know, you know, we do our fast roping out of helicopters and you know, I, I earned a nickname, um, one of my good buddies who's uh, dead now gave me a nickname way back when we were racing motocross. He called me Crazy Dave because I just, you know, I'd go off that jump a little bit harder and a little bit faster to see how high I could get. Or, <laughs> you know, there's things I'd probably back off now. Um, even, but maybe not. But maybe not. You know what? I, I enjoyed every minute of it. There's nothing I regretted at all. I loved every minute of it. So yeah, yeah, probably not. You're right. I wasn't. So, so, I mean, this is probably horrible to say, but when they put us in that one room apartment with no windows and no ventilation, um, do we really want to have saved any of it? Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I yeah. want to use it all up. You're right. You're right. Enjoy life, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. When you participate at an extreme level in your profession, whether it be racing, ATVs, or motorcycles, or whatever extreme sport yep. it is, or you just do that as a hobby, yep. or your job yep. is yep. extreme, um, you're 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 using your body up anyways. You are, but you know what you, you know what it is preserving just enough to enjoy the rest of your life the way you want to enjoy it with your grandkids, uh, with your kids. So you're not stuck in a wheelchair or something. You know what I mean? Just, yeah. just enough so that you could really get out there and enjoy it. And that's where I'm at now. I mean, I, my wife and I, we own a, a CrossFit gym up in Lamona and, uh, I cater to working class people. And my motto is training to be fit for life. Whatever that looks like for you, for some people, maybe it's competing. For some people, being fit for life is I just want to go out on the weekends and hike with my wife or my husband or my kids, or I want to be able to pick up my grandkids. And I get more satisfaction. I don't, I get zero satisfaction working with fitness maniacs. And, and thank goodness my gym doesn't have really any of those. And I say fitness maniacs, this is my life. This is what I do. I eat good, I work out hard, and I do it again not my interest. I love working out with people. And I have a couple guys that I work out with now that are, um, I, I get more enjoyment when they come in and go, Dave, man, I went on a, a four mile hike with my wife that I couldn't do six months ago. And I love it. So that's what I do fit for life, whatever that is for you. Um, right. yeah. And I wish, you know, I have some cops that work out at my gym. Um, I wish I had more, I give those guys an extra special deal just because I think it's important. And I, and I hate seeing, I hate seeing those guys on the news or in the media or whatever that just look like they sh can't even fit in their uniform anymore. Right. Because yeah. it scares me not because, you know, they're going to have a heart attack chasing somebody because they're going to have a heart attack waking up tomorrow morning, you know? So, um, I, I worry about those guys because they can't take care of themselves and they can't take care of us. And I have to look at it from that standpoint now too, who's, you know, with, with cops being scared to do their job anymore because they're going to be second guessed. Um, in society, I think everybody would agree. It's getting a little more dangerous. You, you, you don't really have to watch the news to see it. Just drive down the streets, right? So that that brings up a question: self defense. Yeah. So this is something that um, I've talked to all of my daughters about, mm. and I've talked to my wife about. Yep. You, you need to have self defense. Yep. I'm a man, and I've wrestled. Yep. I've played a little bit with boxing. Um, I've never done any jujitsu, even though I wanted to. But I, I'm. 
not prepared for a MMA fighter, but I'm prepared for the average guy like myself. In, in you know, maybe a, a young stud is going to run over me like I'm not here, mm-hmm. but I'm semi okay to take care of myself. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. A 140 pound man is still stronger than a 200 pound woman. Yeah. Absolutely. And and here's the thing, digressing and going back to just us, just us guys too, right? It's it's not even, I tell people all the time, I mean, I can carry a gun everywhere, but you can't shoot everybody, right? Right. Um, and I have this conversation with my son because um, thank goodness my son has a great head on his shoulders and he's not that guy who's hanging out in the bars on the weekends. And a lot of those guys are, right? And then it gets into this, you know, who's bigger and badder contest. Well, you know what? There are no fair fights anymore. Everybody carries a knife. Everybody seems to carry a knife. And you'll be, and I've been there. I've been on the calls right at 67 and Maple View, right where the 7-Eleven is there on Main Street. I remember I went to a stabbing call and um, a guy had been stabbed about 32 times. And the only reason he, and, and while he was in a physical road rage fight that got physical, the only reason he knew he was stabbed 32 times is because... He started throwing punches and he's like, God, I could barely lift my arm anymore. I can't throw anymore. That's because he was bleeding out. He didn't even know he was getting stabbed in the heat of the moment. Everybody carries a knife. So even for guys like us, one is as I get older, I don't want to fight with guys anymore. But I'm also it hurts. stupid enough. I'm also that guy who just not long ago, I was at Barnes & Noble in Santee and I see a guy walk past me and uh, he something was off with him. So I watch him and he goes through the door and I hear beep, 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 beep. And the employee goes out and he's like, Hey, excuse me, sir. Uh, you want to come back? And the guy blows him off. So I go out and I chase the guy down and I get the stolen merchandise back. Um, my point being is I don't want to get in these fights with guys anymore, but I'm that guy who's going to put myself in these situations sometimes. And I got to be more careful. But with that being said, you got to be physically fit. You can't shoot everybody. There's got to be other options, right? So especially for your wife, your daughter, and even for you, there's, you got to know just enough to help protect yourself. Right. But there's a lot of different things you could utilize other than uh, a gun or a knife or even physical fitness to, to help yourself out. Most people don't realize that short distance that most people are encountering, you're, you don't have time to use your, your handgun. Right. What is it, 25 feet? The closing distance? Uh, yeah, is, we ta- I mean, we talked about, I, th- I think back in the day, it was 21 feet or something. You know, right. somebody, before you could react, somebody could stab you two or three times before you could actually react. Right. And here's the thing, whether it be physical training or defensive tactics or some type of jiu-jitsu or martial arts or handgun, you got to train. If you don't train, it's like a lot of the people I deal with go, hey, you you should teach a self-defense class. Okay, but are you going to train? You got to keep coming back and you got to train. And some people will, some people won't. Some people just want a, hey, I want a three-week course and then I want to, you know, then I'll be good. No, you got to train. Yeah, you got to use those muscles. You got to train. You got to keep using the techniques. So I think for people, I think one of the biggest thing is just one, staying physically fit, right? Maybe then you could outrun the person or maybe at least you could, a a punch is going to hurt a lot more or you could get them off of you, Um, you know, whereas maybe you couldn't, couldn't do that 
that before. So being physically fit says a lot. I used to, even before I knew some jujitsu, I used to go and I used to roll with guys who knew jujitsu and they would ultimately in a wrestling match within a couple minutes, they would get me, they would get me in some type of submission where I'd be like, Oh God, I can't it out. But they would always say this, damn, you're strong. I'm, I'm not, you, I'm not, I mean, because I work out. That's what I do. I don't lift. I do CrossFit type stuff. Um, I wish I had CrossFit way back when, when I was racing motocross, it probably would help me. CrossFit isn't the end all be all. It's just something I do and something that the way I train and the way that I teach people helps make us strong. So I go to a, a, a local guy, uh, coach PJ, CPJ fitness mm-hmm. and, um, uh, it's not CrossFit, but it's a circuit style. It's different. Every time you yeah. go, um, sometimes it's body exercises. Sometimes it's weights. Yeah. Sometimes there's just a ton of yeah. cardio running, you know, yeah. but there's always a method to his madness and how he sets it up. Yep. Um, my favorites are physical, uh, obstacle courses. Yeah. You know, where you have to do the course over and over again. And there's a, always a heavy element to it. Yeah. And, and then yeah. there's the, the, you know, the, the I have exercises. to have you come up to my gym on a Saturday. Cause that's what I love. It's like a boot camp type thing, probably. I mean, and that's what I love. And, and I only say CrossFit cause that's, that's actually been a part of my life for a long time now. That's right. I got, I started my, CrossFit journey. And as I alluded to, I've been involved in physical fitness. I've done the 24 hour fitness. I've done all that. And let's be real. It's, it's hard to go in and think of your own workout. So one thing that I fell in love with, with CrossFit, and I actually got my son doing it to when he was uh, about 10 years old for the off seasons of football. Um, and that's how I got into it. I'm like, why am I watching my kid work out? I could go do this too. So my whole family got into it. And then kind of want to do my own thing, start my own gym. And um, anyway, what I love about it is you never have to think about, okay, what am I going to do at the gym? Yeah, it's all the workout's built for you. Yeah. And you're right. It's always shocking a different muscle group or a different sense. And there's that mental fortitude that you build, right? There's that unknown walking in and going, what is he going to have me do today? And then you're just like, screw it. I'm going to do it. Right. And you're getting stronger and you're, you're getting stronger. And that's what we need to help protect ourselves out there. That's the first line of defense, right? Is one, your, your mouth is going to, could get you out of trouble, right? Could get you in trouble a lot. Um, but then then your physical and mental fortitude, that's, what's going to get you out of there. And then if all else fails, um, maybe you need something else. What I love is sit on a couch, Yep. Not a chair like this, but yep. just sit on a couch where you sink into it and just stand up without how, using. Yeah. How many people can just stand up? I know the exercises that we do are a lot focused on their core mm-hmm. and your core is, which this goes to the ATV racers that are listening to this or the athletes, yeah. your core is your base and that's your foundation of everything. Yeah. You can't have strong arms. Unless you have a strong core, you can't have good base in your legs if you don't have a strong core and you can't stand up like that if you don't have a good, strong core. Absolutely. And not to mention the strong core, but also the range of motion, right? So you look at, you look, but you, but you probably have more than you think more than, and I always tell people this guys who work out, whether it be CrossFit or whatever, because I have a lot of my people in my gym doing CrossFit stuff go, gosh, I'm not, man, I feel like I'm not making gains or because you're comparing yourself to everybody in this gym, compare yourself to the average person out there and you're way better off. And when we talk about range of motion, yeah, my range of motion with, with the injuries and stuff that I have, 
um, isn't as good as anybody else in my gym, but it's better than the average person. And where I'm going with this is that as we get older, yeah, Lenny, I want to be able to stand up off the toilet without, you know, uh-huh. I want to be able to get up off the toilet. That's what I want. That's what I'm going to need to do. Right. Um, and man, like I alluded to earlier, I wish I knew this way back when, when I was racing motocross, because it would have helped, it would have helped me out tremendously. I think it helps you in whatever you want to do, just being physically fit. Right. And, and you know, your diet comes into it as well. You're yeah. thin. I'm a little uh, thicker because I have push away from the table disease, but you're strong. <laughs> you know, I'm still physically yeah. working and, you know, I yeah. mean, there's nobody there to lift that machine when I got to lift it yeah. at, at work. So I'm still, I'm in my, I'm getting closer to 60 than I was yeah. a couple of days ago. And yeah, I'm still lifting the machines. I'm still doing all the same things I did when I was yeah. in, you know, my early twenties. You could look, I get, I could look at you and, and look at you and know you're healthy without even knowing any thing else about you. So you could see that. Um, and yeah, and that's what you're trying to do, right? I mean, here you are going and doing all this stuff at work every day and it's your fitness level that helps keep you doing that yep. and whatever else you want to do. So it's awesome. I think it's neat. I think it's great. Yeah. A few years back, I was working on multiple machines on three different series and, you know, on the road every, every weekend and still trying to train in between that. And I think it was the preconditioned workouts that got me in shape that allowed me to stay at the level so that I could work those nights and those extra weekends and and do all that. Let me ask you this. Do you ever go on, you go on vacations and stuff? What What are those? (laughs) <laughs> you ever go on any trips any little getaways uh, little little ones yeah. we just went to Guadalajara okay. my wife's from Guadalajara and we, we, we go down there as often as do we do you work can. out when you're down there at all no. or no you just take uh, actually I did yeah my uh, uh, middle daughter uh, pa- uh, Paula uh, lives there and she goes to a boxing gym to train mm-hmm. and I went with yep. her on early Saturday morning and trained. And that's what's neat. And that's what I was trying to get at is that it's like, once you get in that and it's in your blood and you find out the benefits to it, gosh, days go by and you're kind of like, Oh man, I'm feeling like, man, I need to get something in. So when I say working out, I'll go on trips and it might be maybe three rounds of, you know, 25 air squats, some pushups, some sit-ups, I don't know. I've, you know, in the past I've taken water jugs and pushed them up overhead. There's always something you do and it doesn't have to be crazy, but then you do your 20 minutes and you're like, all right, now I'm on vacation. I go party. (laughs) I went to a rally with Raphael Sonic in uh, Morocco and we get to one of our day pits and I was done for the day, put on my running shoes and went and ran my five miles. See, because I was training for a Spartan race and I had to, I had to get my, my, I had to get my daily workout in. even it didn't matter what we were doing that day for the rally. I had to get my daily workout in. That's awesome. Yeah. See, yeah. And and you're not scared to then go in a a boxing class or we were in the middle of, you're in Africa. Wow. And wow. You know, you're in, in where was your Spartan at? uh, My Spartan was, it was, was uh, up in the Temecula area. Vail Lake. Yes. I've done them. Yeah, did the, yeah. We did the, the beast. Ah, I did the beast. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, me and PJ and uh, another buddy okay. of mine, uh, yeah. Curtis, uh, we all, as it was supposed to be a large group, mm-hmm. it ended up being us three. Yep. And we did it. We ran it together. and Super cool. And uh, I'm the oldest of the three of us. And um, 
they both cramped and had issues. And coaches, coach trains us, but doesn't train as often. Now he yeah. trains all the time, but but back then he didn't train as often as he does now. I forgot what year it was, and I don't know if this could have been the same year. Uh, was that the sixteen? And I'm alluding to the year. It was it was hot. Did is the, then was that the one that they actually shut down because they ran out of like ambulances and stuff? No, because there was one that I ran at Bell. I ran a couple there, and it was somewhere around that year that they actually. It was 17, excuse me. They actually shut the race down. We had already finished. We got our medals and they shut the race down because they ran out of the ambulances and they gave everybody that day a free race. So not only did I finish and get my medal, but I got a free voucher for oh, the race. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but congrats to you for finishing it because you've done it. It's no joke. No, wow. it's not. A, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. At that, the, after that race, I was in the best shape of my life. Yeah. And then I freaking went out two weeks later and crashed on a mountain bike and injured my ribs. And I, Mm. and I couldn't train correctly for about a month. Wow. Um, I kept, I kept trying to train, but I just couldn't do it. So I, I lost that little bit of conditioning that I had, that level I had, and I've never been able to achieve that again. But I was running and mountain biking and circuit training. You know what I tell people all the time too, and what's neat about just staying in the fitness realm like you are and like I am, and whether it be CrossFit or whatever it is you're doing, just to do it regularly is, I tell people all the time, like staying fit for life, right? So that means if all of a sudden somebody comes up to me and says, hey, Dave, I want to train for a Spartan. Uh, Can you help me train? And I'm like, you're here four days a week. Yeah, but I want to do a Spartan. Yeah, but you're already, you're training. So my point being is you only have to adapt a little bit. Right. So I ran four marathons. I ran three, three or four in one year. Now I'm six, two. I was about 215 pounds. I probably shouldn't be running marathons, but I did. I never, other than adapting for the running distance, my training stayed the same. I did CrossFit training and then I'd go get runs in. And then I'd go out and do it like you. You So you don't necessarily have to, as long as you're staying within fitness, I love to just push the element and go, you know what, I'm going to go do this. And I may train just a little bit extra and tweak it for this, right? Um, and a Spartan is a good test of that, especially the beast. That's good. Uh, well, the, what, what brought this on is I did the short one mm-hmm. in Sacramento. Super. Which uh, is no, the, the... Oh, the sprint. The Spartan sprint. sprint. I did the sprint and... I'd done a little bit of rope climbing in oh. PJ's class. Not much, just a little. And my dad and mom um, and my daughter and my grandson were there. Mm-hmm. And my dad watched me fail the rope climb. Mm. Couldn't ha- I couldn't handle mm. it. I yeah. could not handle the fact that he, he actually saw me yeah. fail the road mm-hmm. climb. So and you had to do burpees, right? Yep, I yeah. did the burpees. <laughs> yeah. I did 125 burpees wow. that day. That wow. day. Um, and vowed to not have a problem. My dad watched me climb the rope, wow. which was a uh, it was a higher mm-hmm. climb than it was in Sacramento for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Um, and I climbed up. And slid down, and he got to see me do it. I did twenty five burpees. Oh my gosh! They're good for you, man. Yeah, it was was, uh, devastating. How did you feel when you were done with the whole race, though? Pretty exhilarating. Like I ate two dinners that night. Yeah, I drove from the race 
to Glen Helen. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Uh, to a hotel um, because the next day there was a, a works race. Okay. And I was not working the race, but I was still there supporting my guys. Wow. I told them, hey, guys, I scheduled this before the season was scheduled, mm-hmm. you know, and they scheduled this race date. I'm not going to be here for this race. Oh, wow. I'm going to go do this for myself. And when I showed up on, on Sunday to support them, um, I was a little tired. Yeah. But for the most part, um, a good night's sleep the next night, and I was ready. Super I was cool. back training. It's on, on Monday. Yeah. It's an accomplishment. Yeah, for sure. Have you? Let me ask you this: Have you ever uh, hiked? Uh, done any hiking? Not really. I did Cow's Mountain uh, when I was training for the Spartan, and a, and a couple other times um, with the weighted the forty yeah. pound weight vest. Um, I ran Cow's Mountain twice with the, in one day. Back to back. You want to feel accomplished? You and I should get a group, and we should go up to Mount Whitney. I've day- taken people from my gym up Mount Whitney, and I'm not a backpacker or hiker, but I've done it. I don't. I don't four, like it four times. You should just do it, though. I'm telling you, the most exhilarating feeling ever. It's crazy. When, it's an accomplishment. Yeah. Zakopane, Zakopane in Poland. Ooh, it's a mountain range, and it's a ski resort. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever been to Poland, it's either cold and snowing mm-hmm. or it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And my friend who lives there, uh, my wife and I were on our honeymoon and he offered us this hike where my wife didn't feel well. So she stayed in the hotel and, um, him and I, and, uh, and his trainer climbed the hill and they do it with poles yep. and everything. And, and there's some of it's got steps, but most of it is you're just walking like a goat trail up this mountain yeah. and there's hundreds of people doing it, all different variations. And, uh, he didn't think I could do it. And I freaking at the end of the deal, I'm right behind him going, Hey, are we going to, you know, what are we going to do here? And when, what he does, when they get to the top, there's a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So we got my wife a ticket and she got and rode the tram up or the, the lift up and got off right where we were came into the restaurant, sat down with us and got something to eat. And they drink vodka at the top. <laughs> I don't, I don't drink alcohol yeah, yeah. for a, an injury, a head injury that I got, but they drink their little vodka yeah. and eat the food. And, and some of the food is, is a little rough, but you know, they still, you have a meal and, and you've just done this climb and, um, Within wow. at super high elevation, within just a few minutes, I was wow. In, I was back to normal and ready. To yeah, go, ready to go. Yeah, you missed the best part of the Spartan. Then that's that. That beer never tastes so good at at the end of the Spartan. It's amazing. My buddy <laughs> stayed and had beer and a meal there. I had to jump in the truck and drive. Yeah, go back to Glen Helen. Yep, and 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 that's wow. when I sat down. And I was a, a watching how much food yeah. I intake and all yeah, that. Sure. And when I sat down and ordered two meals. Everybody was looking at me like, what are you doing? The best well, in and out burger I ever had was after a Spartan <laughs> Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. That's super incredible. neat, man. Super neat. Um, that, 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 we got way off track of, yep. Yep. of no what you do Sorry. for a living. Yep. But um, being a first responder mm-hmm. and putting your life on the line for others, uh, what's the... I, I, I'm I'm at a loss for what I'm trying to say, but the downside to it, 
the emotional downside to it for you? I don't, I don't, I don't see one. I never did. Um, There's got to be a, a, a ramification of all the years of, 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 Maybe not the kicking the door in and yeah. arresting the bad yeah. guy. Yeah, for sure. But the, the yeah. car accidents. Absolutely. Are so, you know what? You know what's interesting is that um, – so, as far as – I never feared losing my life ever. And I, and I ran into situations that it could have easily happened. One of my first almost uh, close calls was just down the street here on Las Coches Road where I, I almost had to shoot a guy who was going to try and shoot me. Um, but I never, ever feared losing my life just because I had that mindset that I was always going to go home at night. And I always did everything. And my partners, I had good partners. We always did everything to ensure that we would go home at the end of the night. The Some of the ramifications and the things that I felt were, I mean, I had an eight-year-old boy die in my arms. I couldn't save this kid's life. I tried. He was choking. He was, he, uh, was a disabled kid right up off of Bradley Avenue, a uh, young little black kid. And, um, it was around Christmas time and he had put a light bulb in his mouth and was playing with it and sucked it in and it went into his throat. And I was the first one on scene cause I just happened to be down the street. I was there within two minutes of him, the call coming out. Um, and when I get there, he's literally choking and I'm doing everything they taught me to do to save this kid's life. And I lost him. He died right in my arms. Um, and paramedics got in there and couldn't save him either. Um, I cried, gosh, I still get choked up when I think about it. And I remember at that time, my kids were super young and what do we feed our young kids? Macaroni, cheese, and hot dogs. I remember one of my, my kids, uh, was choking on a hot dog and I froze. I couldn't do anything. I was literally frozen. My wife had to like, you know. Not a, not a big deal. They they weren't choking enough that it took more than like you know my wife smacking my boy or daughter on the back. I forgot which one it was, but I literally locked up. And it was stuff like that, incidents like that that you know uh, come back to haunt you. Um, but never, I never feared losing my life, um, and I would never stray away from going into a situation. Whether, you know, it breaks my heart these school shootings and things that we see where um, police are second guessed, and some of them are second guessed for good reason because they don't do their job. And I've I've trained some of those cops that said I won't go in there. Uvalde. I, I yeah. And I've trained, I've trained uh, part of SWAT team's responsibility was to train the rest of the department on certain things like riot control and um, immediate action, rapid deployment or active shooter response. Um, and we've trained some of those cops that would be like, I'm not going in there because we would run some real scenarios that would make them think, you know, even though it was a training but this, isn't that the, is it? No, no offense. Isn't that your job? Absolutely. A hundred percent it is. You're I mean, supposed to run to the noise, and, to the gunshots. And I would tell them, and I would tell them, maybe you should find a different career. I would tell them uh, because I'm not that guy. I mean, and, and, and I'd say a good portion of the men and women on the department or these. How many civilians are there? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I hope I never have to find out, but yeah. I think I'm the type of guy that's going to run too. Instead of run away, we are too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because I, 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 there's, there's so many helpless people. Absolutely, hundred percent. So, yeah, I, I never, I never feared that. Um, 
But yeah, there's, there's things that, you know, take its toll on you that oftentimes I think back on like, man, I had some close calls or, um, you know, the kid died in my arms or some of the, uh, traumas and things that we'd see from car accidents and things like that, that really kind of sucked. Um, you know, I think more so if, if anything took its toll on my family more than anything, it was the time I was just fully invested. I mean, before PowerPoint came out, I was doing investigations that were year long investigations that I would have butcher paper on my living room floor, pasting pictures to it and timelines and typing up timelines and printing and pasting. And that was my presentation, you know, and that was on my own time and, and not to say me, 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 a lot of, there's a lot of people who make those sacrifices out there each and every day because because it's important right and there, but there isn't enough time to do it right. in the regular hours at the absolutely job. not and and it is it, and and i would much rather even though i was bringing work home i would much rather be at home doing it so at least i can have some interaction with my family you know you look at my wife she's a caregiver mm -hmm. she leaves extra early in the morning especially on the weather days to make sure she's on time for that first appointment. Yep. She takes on more clients than she should because there's nobody else to do the job. Yep. So she takes those clients and God bless her. Cause a lot of people don't. And, and, and yep. she gets letters and cards and, um, from family members after the patients pass mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And the way that I, that I bring this across is, when she comes home, there's always more paperwork to do. Mm -hmm. She's off basically because she walked in the front mm -hmm. door, but she's not. It's another two hours yeah. of all the documentation she has to do mm -hmm. that she doesn't have time to do during the day. Yep. Yep. You know what? Um, when I retired, one of the struggles I had, and I still have a little bit of it, um, is okay what is my purpose now like where do i fit in like how you know, you know I, I see what's going on like everybody else in, in the country in the nation and um i'm like how do i i'm not i'm not the guy who's going to stand on the corner with a protest sign i'm just not that guy i don't have anything against people doing that I'm just not that guy. So about a year, little over a year ago, I jumped in on the people's convoy. It was a trucker's convoy that right. left Adelanto and went all the way to DC. And I'll tell you what I'm, where I'm going with this is that it restored my faith in, in, in humanity and that just like you, just like that, your that wife, the news didn't cover that the news didn't, yeah, cover. we didn't, they didn't cover nope. it here in zero States. because at the same time, timing sucked, but at the same time, the war broke out in Ukraine and that was the coverage. But this was a story that should have been covered and something in the U S that should have been covered because it restored my, my faith in humanity and that like you, your wife, like a lot of the good people doing what we're talking about doing out there for the right reasons and not just a job, right? Not just a paycheck. They're still out there. Um, there are those people out there and I kind of had lost hope for a while that there were that too many people are thinking about themselves that too many people are just trying to get a paycheck. Um, but there are good people out there that really care about what we're talking about. Right. And that is making, making, doing work, doing a job, whether it be law enforcement or nursing or caretaking or whatever you do, your interactions with the people you have. And that's why, honestly, for what you do, that's why I keep coming back to you guys, because you guys are very personable and you care about what you're doing. Um, and 
it's nice to see people actually care about what we're doing for the right reasons, right? No matter what it is. Um, and that restored my hope and faith that there are a lot of people out there like that, because I would see going from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. over the three or four weeks that I was on the road, I saw thousands of people lining the roadways with American flags, lining the roadways with signs saying, God bless you. Thank you for your your support. This was for the truckers, not for me. I was just caravanning along and I was unloading water bottles and feeding meals and doing things to support them as they're going, providing some security for them. I just jumped in and said, hey guys, I, I got these skill sets. I could help out if we need it. Um, but it wasn't necessarily the thousands of people that I saw supporting these guys. It was on a cold, rainy night in 30-degree weather seeing that one guy standing on a bridge in the middle of nowhere holding a sign up or waving an American flag. And I could tell you 100% I'm not making this up. And I don't know how many bridges, and I always allude to bridges because all the bridges would be lined with people or at least one. There wasn't a single bridge that we went under from here to D.C. that didn't have somebody on it at least one person. It was crazy. It was remarkable. It would bring tears to your eyes. I mean, I'm not a social media guy. I don't really Facebook. I don't Instagram. Um, but I did for that trip because I'm like, people got to know. Like my friends back home have to see this. This, this is crazy. So I would wake up. I slept in my truck, in my Ram truck. I slept in there for four weeks, man, on the road. I slept in the back of that thing. Um, and But every morning I'd wake up and I'd make a new post, you know, of the, my thoughts and uh, what I would see. And, and uh, some of them had a religious component to them. And, you know, it was just uh, kind of, yeah, just kind of letting God guide me on that trip. And, and just, at least for me, get, getting a little bit back from uh, what I was feeling. So that there's... Well, once you retired, you feel you lost your purpose. <laughs> Do you think that now that you are grounded a little bit more back from going on that, what I would call a yeah. spiritual yeah, journey. Absolutely. Um, that you have a purpose now to, to, to teach. Yeah. I never really think I lost my purpose, but I, I, I struggled with it a little bit, right? I had a pretty strong faith um, before retiring and um, so I never really, and I, and I have a lot of great friends and most of my friends while I was a cop aren't cops. Um, the people that I associate with and hang out with, they're not cops. Uh, they're average everyday people, which is awesome. Um, so I was grounded before that. I had a lot of interest. I was already running a gym. It was just, um, I love to help people. So that's built into my DNA. And I just felt like, man, am I really helping people? Am I doing the right thing? I mean, how can I help more? What more can I do? Am I doing enough? Um, always that sense of wanting to do more and more and more. And I have a lot of friends and family who tell me, slow down, man. Just slow down. You don't need to always be doing more. But I feel like I, I need to. I want to. So it was just kind of finding those opportunities. Um, and it, it was nice. It helped. So, yeah. Well, being that I grew up in, in the East County Lakeside Santee, mm -hmm. El Cajon, um, the Santee sheriffs were always coming by the shop and checking on us. Yeah. So when the doors were open at 1 o'clock in the morning, they would drive in, pull up into the driveway, mm -hmm. and just say, hey, is everything all right, guys? Yeah, we're good. Thanks for checking. Yep. You know, and... 
they always knew what was going on mm-hmm. and oh, where the, the back street to where we were. We were on Kenny Street, which is the border between El Cajon and Santee. Mm-hmm. One sidewalk is Santee, one sidewalk is El Cajon. Mm-hmm. So there was always who's going to cover it. Yep. It's always a big problem, yep. whether it was El Cajon yep. or whether. So El Cajon never came over there. And Border Patrol was right across the yep. street. But they would come in and they would drag race. If the, you know the the oh, yeah. import cars would come in there oh, yeah. and there would be oh yeah probably a couple hundred of them and they would line the street and they would run their three or four races and then they would drive out yeah and then the sheriff would roll in you know five or ten minutes after them yeah you know and just check to make sure everything was okay check yeah. on us yeah and, um, th- they didn't know us by name but they they knew who we yeah. were oh, yeah. we didn't always know who they were mm-hmm. and. Um, Multiple different officers would come in all the time and, cool. and, and check on us. Uh, it, it's they knew. We probably thought you were dealing dope out of the shop or something. <laughs> no, most of them. Most of them were off road enthusiasts yeah. and knew oh, yeah. knew who. They, we, I would recognize some of them when yeah. they came in in their street clothes. For you know, sure. bringing a cylinder to bore or whatever. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we were talking East County back then, you know, back when I started working the streets out here, it was, it was still a little bit of cowboys and Indians too. There was, you know, there's a lot of meth out in this area. There was a lot of, uh, uh, Hell's Angel biker gangs still running out in this area. And, um, you being born and raised and growing up in this area, you know, um, Heck, they had a clubhouse right off uh, Gay Rio Winter Gardens there. Well, they also the the Lakeside Hotel. Lakeside Hotel. Back then, it was this, you know, they used a slaughterhouse. To, back in a day, uh, just before, and I thought this was going to happen to me because the stories were out there. And I was waiting. Every time we passed by the Lakeside Hotel, I'd go, all right, I wonder if this is my day. But back in the day, in order to get off training, when you were a new deputy out here, they would your training officer would go, all right, go in the Lakeside Hotel right there. And you don't come out until you have somebody in handcuffs. You just pick somebody out and you arrest them because there's somebody in there that needs to be arrested. You figure out who and go arrest them. Uh-huh. Well, that well, was a slaughterhouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was a fight. Yeah, it was a fight. Um, but that's how it was out here. And I I loved that. Remember the Kentucky stud? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I loved that. I was in the era. One, that I worked the old jail with the brass keys. And two, that I got to drive a green and white when I was out here. Yep. I still got to drive a green and white before they went to black and white. I think the green and whites is when it was I loved it. the, the best it was because that it. those guys didn't didn't really harass you. The, no. the, you know what? I would have to say in that era, the, high, the, the CHP officers. Yeah were still of this area as well mm-hmm. because I got pulled over by more than sure. one of them when we, when I was playing football. Yep. And once they figured out that I was a football player and that I went to El Cap, I was usually let go. Yeah. And you know what? It was back then it was, yeah, the highway patrol and sheriffs, we got along really well because it was minimal out here. There might be four deputies on a night. I mean, there were, there were like four beats and there was one deputy for each beat. And some of the old school deputies will say, Dave, man, you forget when there was only like one or two out here in Lakeside. When I was out here, there were four, but even then sometimes it wasn't that. So CHP was helping us out or we were helping them out. So in 1980, 79, 80, they had a big flood. Mm-hmm. And at one point, my brother was pulling in the driveway as the criminal, the thief, was down in rummaging down where your truck uh, trucks park through our motorcycle parts that had been dislodged by the flood. And 
as the sheriff drives in and, and, and there, and my dad's shotgun's leaning up against his car that's there. He can't drive up because he doesn't want the sheriff to get upset, you know, or worry about him. And the guy with the, uh, the bad guy, mm-hmm. the criminal, whatever you want to call him, um, he just tells the, the sheriff just tells him, he says, you can come with me or oh, Mr. Duncan, they're just going to shoot you with a shotgun and bury you in the creek and we ain't going to ever find you. Yeah. He says, which do you want? You want to come with me or you want to go with him? And the guy freaking went, went and got arrested. There you go. You know, yeah. and that's what he was. And yeah, he didn't even argue, you know, but he tried to call my brother out and fight with my brother. So when they get the guy to his car, you know, obviously they open the trunk and there's a bunch of stolen tools and all kinds of stuff so i mean he spent a, spent some time in jail yeah yeah it was just yeah back then there was a good there was a respect for for the dead it was tough here right yeah man wow so yeah i mean and that's not before wow. he was sheriff that was, wow. he was just wow yeah that is cool that is neat yeah yeah it was a good time to work out here it really was seeing it back then has changed so much over the years right i mean well, nowadays they probably would have arrested my dad for having the shotgun down there probably nowadays you know you never know <laughs> it, it yeah. is what it is i know dave i really appreciate yeah. you sitting down and, and talking with me yeah. uh, this segment of this is called atv uh talk inspired mm-hmm. um and what it what it is is there's not enough people that are giving the positive story for the first responders, mm-hmm. such as yourself, you know, whether it be military, police uh, or fire. And uh, I just try to have conversations with you guys. Plus, you're an ATV enthusiast. Yeah. That's how I met you. You came yeah. in the shop. Yeah. We're actually building a machine for you. Yeah. And uh, that, that that's a, that's a bonus. Yeah. Um, the amount of law enforcement that we get, uh, even at our new location, um, is incredible. It's great. Yeah, there's because there are people going out into the world and, you know, you're enjoying your off-road vehicles and you're just trying to experience a fun life. And uh, there's not enough of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? There's a lot of good people still out there. There's a lot of good cops out there. Cops again, right? A lot of good police officers, a lot of good deputies. Um, and, and it, yeah, just there's we get bombarded with just all the negative stuff. I'm a guy who listens to the news. I, I, I like being informed and then picking and choosing what I, what I'm going to believe and not believe. Right. Um, and that could beat you down. So you have to, you have, you have to have good friends and meet a lot of good people along the way to, to restore your faith and humanity and, uh, and know that there's still a bigger picture out there and it's just not, not letting the everyday hustle and bustle beat us down. So, right. Yeah. I'm glad you asked me to do this. I love it. I, I really appreciate it. that too. Uh, I appreciate sure. it. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thank you. Not a problem, sir. And, All right. and anytime you want to come back, if you have more stories to tell, we'll get you to come back on. And, I and did. I've always got a story. All right. I really appreciate it. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. If you're in need of a consultation for your current racing program, a custom ATV, or an industry guest speaker, I have the company for you. Duncan Technologies International, Inc. offers host, MC, and guest speaking services at events, builds custom ATVs for recreational riding or racing around the world, and they offer consulting services for professional teams or individual racers. Send inquiries to... Duncan Tech International 
at gmail.com or call 619-716-1532 for more information. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to share us with your family and friends. The podcast is available on all streaming platforms, and you can find us on social media as ATV Talk Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter. 